Welcome to the latest episode of the Informing Choices mini pod. In the recently published book, Aftershocks and Opportunities 2, Navigating the Next Horizon, Richard Freeman, CEO of Always Possible, explores how the COVID-19 pandemic could become a catalyst for businesses to embrace bigger picture thinking and smarter localized decision-making. So the question is, how might business change for the better? Richard, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about you and your work. Hello, Steve. Really good to be with you and nice to see you again. So Always Possible is a consultancy that I founded um, just over six years ago. And half of our work is focused on big picture problem solving. So we work a lot with local government and think tank and networks in a manner of kind of social change and, and economic development spaces. So anything from sort of skills and apprenticeships to why a particular sector is not working in one area, but it is in another, to ports and the relationship between you know, engineering and education, all kinds of things like that. And then the other half of our work is with individual businesses looking at their own capacity to grow, uh, to develop um, strategies that are smart and connected, and to make sure that they are aware of and involved in some of these more strategic um, conversations and not just kind of sitting in their own little bubbles. So we like to connect the kind of entrepreneurial grassroots with that policy and strategy and investment decision making so that people feel it's a bit more joined up than it, than it, um, than it has been. I can see how you pose the question about how might business change for the better. In your chapter, you talk about business thinking big. What do you see as the enablers and the hurdles to that? So when I say thinking big, I'm I'm talking about, you know, businesses not not following the traditional thing that happens in a recession or in a time of big economic turmoil, which is to button down the hatches, mm. is to retreat in a little bit, is to protect your assets and kind of do over the competition and, and just to sort of, you know, free, freeze any innovation and, and, and just carry on and, and, and plow on until there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That, 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 that's been a mentality in the past, which I can completely understand why any board or business leader would do that. But I don't think it's been to the benefit of those businesses in the past, and I definitely don't think it is now. So I think when I say thinking big, I think this is a kind of this is a, an economic disruption that's unlike any other. It's not because all the money's drained out of the system. It's just because it's been put on hold or it's been reconfigured. So there are huge opportunities for businesses to look up and look out to think about what some of the political agenda is. Is, is is doing when we you know we talk about some of the the bold policies that have come out whether they're hot air or not it, it shows some some promise around more strategic thinking like leveling leveling up like um, lifelong learning like the new shared prosperity kind of agenda that's coming out to replace the the eu funding that's no longer there and there's an opportunity for all businesses whether it's private sector or um or voluntary sector or, or, or whatever to look at what's happening in their local landscape and regional landscape to look at what other opportunities there are to be part of conversations and solutions that take their work and put it in a kind of bigger context and we've seen some amazing thinking happening you might call it thought leadership which i think is a sometimes a problematic term because it can be meaningless but 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 when you see genuine business leaders looking at the system they're working in and looking at how they might influence you know a much bigger you know kind of take their work and put it in a much bigger context then then i, th I think that's really exciting and um and i think there's a big opportunity for for new businesses to come into that fray 
because because the pandemic's thrown up a load of questions that I think businesses can step out of their their kind of little box and and try and answer. My sort of articulation of the, of, of the point that you made right at the start there was this this kind of I see as a mindset challenge for for mm. organisations and and it's almost a binary choice. Do you know do we stick or, or do we twist? Yeah. And I and I always think one of the biggest challenges there is for existing established organisations and how they really challenge the underlying organisational DNA. Yeah. Do, do you see the same challenge? I do, I do. And I think, you know, there are lots of traditional sectors that um, have either done quite well in the pandemic, um, like the construction sector, for example, has seen a huge boom in in sort of domestic bills as people are working from home you know they want to turn their their spare room into an office and mm-hmm. you know there's, there's been no shortage of work but actually in a sector like that that may have some traditional ways of working they, they they've got a skill shortage so they need to think differently about that and, and work and work differently around the solution there's some technology solutions coming into that that sector that, that are radically transforming the way they might be able to work and, and, and their, their customers expectations is changing um, so that sector has to has to twist it has to, to look differently about how it might work and innovate and invest and so you know this moment has been has been a really exciting one to do that whereas other sectors like hospitality and, and, and tourism and leisure and travel have had a terrible you know 18 months where they've had the rug pulled from underneath them and but again where you see some innovation and some some challenging assumptions about the way they've always done things i think there's some there's some really interesting new ideas coming on the horizon necessity being the mother of invention i think well, indeed. Don't let, don't let a good crisis go to waste yeah yeah, yeah exactly I know from your work at Always Possible, you, you consider collaboration as a, as a critical enabler for success. So how do you think collaboration might change post-pandemic? So I think in a couple of ways. I think in terms of um, business-to-business collaboration, what I've seen through through my work is, is where businesses have, have, have cottoned on that, you know, perhaps their competitors are you know, have strengths in, in a different area to, to, to they do. And, you know, actually the, the the whole sector is strengthened if they start to work a little bit better together, understanding which bits they're going to compete on, and that's fine. But but also being able to, to share a little bit of of, of 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 that thought leadership or potentially even some talent where they might be working with some outsourcing contractors for the for the kind of the greater good of of their industry in the area in which they work i've seen that really amplified in the last few sort of months and where you've seen things like um, you know engineering companies shifting to create ppe very early on in the pandemic mm. you know that's 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 thrown up some new possibilities of, of how they might work with big agencies like the nhs i think it's thrown up questions about procurement it's thrown up questions about mm. how where innovation can can be driven by need rather than just by profit um and and i think those questions um are still up there in the air but i've seen some exciting stuff and then secondly i think it's between public and private you know i've seen some really exciting innovation happening at a local government level where they've been able to use some of the their pooled business rates or some of their you know investment funds which may you know may have just been sitting there or they're not quite sure how they were going to use it and it was generally used to be reactive and and plug a hole what they're now doing is being quite proactive certainly in the ones i've seen and you know really investing in in and, and helping businesses with their innovation 
uh, around skills and employability um, and around you know creating kind of really strong narratives and investment in high tech and high growth tech in different areas and that relationship between public and private I think has been you know it's been interesting and, and, and really strong in some areas that I've seen in new ways. What's your sense of um, how organizations leaders in organizations understand the different collaborative working models because i you know i i always think that you know there's a there's a vast difference between some kind of intra-business coordination mm. through to full partnership do you think people understand those differences and what the implications might be not always not often um i think i think collaboration and partnership you know they're, they're two they're, you know, they're two quite loaded terms and can mean different mm. things to different people. Um, and I think, you know, I think some people go into collaboration kind of slightly blind and don't foresee some of the risks and others go in way too cautiously and too, with too much of a protect, protectivist mindset. So I think, you know, there's nuances to it, but I think there's an opportunity for people to kind of redefine that and to go in with, uh, with some goodwill and some trust and a shared mission. Uh, and they've just got to be really clear up up front at the start about what they are intending to do by by cooperating together. And I think it's more of the former of what you said. You know, it's it's that that sort of intra business co cooperation coordination, probably more than than full scale partnerships. Yeah. Although saying that, I have seen you know more more mergers and and more you know full kind of uh, you know it, businesses actually combining forces where they've they've come to the realization that they both of them aren't needed as separate entities anymore in a particular area because yeah. consumer demand has changed and that can be done very amicably and, and you know, with, with value to, to those that own it. I think where it works is it's working really well. I mean, I, I'm sure collaboration might be one of the things that, that we come back to, but, but at, the, at the end of your chapter in the book, you talk about fluid skills. Mm. So tell us a little bit about what you have in mind there. What, what do you think of as, as fluid skills? So I, we did a lot of research early on about the impact of the pandemic as it was happening on, on skills, employability, business confidence, the, the implications of furlough, and and what was happening to the sort of recruitment landscape and we were commissioned by a few um uh, kind of large public sector organizations to try and work out what was happening and the things that 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 i found um through some analysis of of, of what recruiters and what what businesses were saying they needed at that point is there, there are kind of three big skill sets that i think pretty much any business um certainly every sector is now trying to consolidate and trying to recruit into uh, one and I kind of categorize them as the three C's coding care and communications so I'm talking about coding I mean not you know not just programming but but, yeah. but computational thinking analytics you know being able to use and read data and being able to understand the 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 footprint that that a business and its customers have um, another is, is is care, and I think that's about well-being. I think it's about customer care. It's the user journey, user experience. I think you know consumers are, are are wanting to be looked after, and they want to know the provenance of where their you know goods they're buying comes from. There's there's a different com a story being told. I think around this kind of uh, relationship people have with with brands they buy from. But those that did 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 really well, and so I see you know over the last year businesses saying right we need to really 
we might be good at one of these things, but maybe not all three, but we need to be good at all three. We need to have that analytical mindset. We need to have that compassion and kind of well-being center for our staff and our um, customers. And we need to be able to communicate clearly, transparently, and with authenticity what it is that we're about. And so those skill sets are what now they're looking for in, in young trainees, in in graduates and, and in and in a kind of changing, you know, an older workforce that's maybe changing sector and coming into the more senior positions. So I think it's really important that, you know, we help people to 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 train and learn those skill sets from from a young age. Um, the technical skills you can learn on the job and as you go, or you know, through a through a specialist degree or whatever. But those three you know, I guess slightly more transferable or, as you say, fluid skills. Mm-hmm. I think if you get those right, you, you, you can you can thrive in pretty much any sector. I'm going to kind of throw this one out there to you. And it's, it, it, you know, it's not one that uh, I spoke about before, but I'm often looking at the march of automation. So if we roll our thinking forward 10, 15 years, perhaps, and we look at the role that automation might play, given what you've just said about coding care and communication. Do you think those are the kind of skills that will remain as critically important? And there were other skills that will be taken over um, by automation technologies? Yeah, 100 percent. Because I think those three skill sets are the, are the three biggest that, that automation cannot replicate. Yes, a, 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 an automated system, some AI can can produce some analytics, but it can't then turn that into human insights. You know, they can't. It can't. I don't think it, it it can turn that into, you know, really intelligent forecasting that is that is people in a room getting together and working out, okay, what's happening here from a psychological perspective. Um, I don't think that that automation is going to replace all customer care you know we've seen problems with that already people are already fed up of chatbots yes. and things like that they want they want to speak to a human that's not to say that loads of the processes can't be automated more than they even are now but at the end of the day you want to know that there is a human being that is looking after your 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 business uh, and your account your you know your 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 um, relationship and then thirdly in communication you know i, th- I think a computer cannot make decisions about reading the room or what to communicate to who and when. Um, algorithms don't work for that. I think that needs that that has to have some some sentience behind it. But again, that doesn't mean a lot of the processes and a lot of the the you know the the more traditional kind of junior positions that might be a little bit more about you know inputting data and setting up workflows aren't going to be replaced by machines. Yes, they are. Um, so that's why it's critically important that these skill sets are developed, taught, nurtured from a young age at a high level so that so that the humans in the businesses are really acutely competent in, in, in all three of those areas. Well, Richard, thank you so much for, for sharing your insights. Tell us, how can people contact you, get hold of you, learn more about what you do at Always Possible? The best way is to, to visit us at alwayspossible.co.uk and you know you can see some case studies of our work and a bit more around our thinking read my chapter by this book of course that's why we're here but but also you know find me on linkedin um and it's uh, it's it's linkedin slash rp freeman um and i'd be delighted to to you know talk to people directly about how um how we might be able to help them or how they might be able to help us well richard thank you so much for your time And thank you everyone for listening. Do let your friends and colleagues know about the Informing Choices mini pod and I'll see you on a future episode very soon.